Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome back to Orange Fizz Radio. It's Matt Bonaparte and John Eads with you this week. We've got a crazy show ahead. Bayheim's Army, the final roster is in. We'll get to talk about the football team. What's the state of the SU program? We'll get to five-star review as well as fictional fizz and fizz feedback. John Eads, you are with me for the first time ever. Today, are you amped? I'm very amped, Bones. Nice to be with you. Usually with Ian Unsworth, uh, you know, kind of missing him, but you know what? You'll be fine, Bones. We'll, we'll All right. Be fine well, again. I'm, I'm glad it. I I'm glad I'll suffice. Um. So so the the final Bayheim's army or excuse me the Bayheim's army final roster is in. You've got Malachi Richardson, Tyler Lydon, Chris McCullough, Eric Devendorf, Andrew White, C.J. Fair, Pascal Truquu, and then the four non-SU guys. DeAndre Kane and D.J. Kennedy are are the biggest names. Both guys from overseas elite, and then you also have. Tyrese Rice and Kiefer Sykes. What do you make of the non-SU narrative that Bayheim's Army is kind of putting into place this year? Obviously, the majority of the team are SU alumni, and I don't think anybody was really all that upset when uh, Tyrese Rice and Kiefer Sykes were announced, and not even DeAndre Kane. But when DJ Kennedy got announced this past week, some CNY faithful were a little bit upset as, you know, he was a St. John's alum, or he is a St. John's alum, so it definitely played Syracuse back in the Big East, those rivalry games. Some some were upset. Do you care at all, John, that, that there are non-SU guys, specifically DJ Kennedy, on a Syracuse alumni-based roster? I don't really care, Bones, but I do understand why some people would be upset. Like you said, the, the, the name of the team is Bayheim's Army. This is started as a Syracuse alumni team, but you also got to remember, this is a tournament, you're playing for big dollars, right? You got to remember that this is about winning. It's not necessarily about storylines and making article headlines, which they do anyways. It's about winning at the end of the day. So whatever you can do to win, if you're Kevin Belby and, and Bayheim's Army, you need to do. So I think the additions they brought in are very good, but the actual Syracuse players that they have on this roster are very good as well. So I'd say it's not a hot take, Bones, to say that this is the best Bayheim's Army roster that they've had over the six, seven years that this thing has existed. I don't think that's a hot take either. And you said it right, that they are here to win. I had a conversation with the GM of the team, Kevin Belby, quite recently. That's out on orangefizz.net. Go take a listen. He said some really great stuff, but what he said the most is that these guys are here to win. This isn't really, you know, a nostalgia trip for all the fans. Well, you know, it is, but that's not what they're here for. These guys are here to win the million-dollar prize and win the basketball tournament. And I think that getting these non-SU players is, in part, helping to do that, of course. So you get Tyrese Rice, who is a veteran of the sport. He played at BC when they were in the ACC for the first couple of years that they were. Uh, you get Kiefer Sykes who played in Green Bay. So a couple of guys who don't really have any SU connection whatsoever. And you get uh, DeAndre Kane who played at Iowa State for his final year, also at Marshall. So still out of the realm of Syracuse. But DJ Kennedy, a St. John's alumni, just butting heads immediately. And that's the only one that I kind of, I didn't have a problem with, but I was like, um, that's going to cause issue on Twitter, definitely. And it did. Um, and I can't really blame anybody for it because there are definitely SU fans out there who had to, you know, grow up not liking that guy and definitely rooting against him plenty. Um, 
So it makes sense that they're not too happy with it, but I don't think that fans should be so bitter about it, um, especially because, you know, he is one of the best players in the history of the TBT, probably the best player in the history of the entire tournament. I think that they should be happy instead that Beheim's Army is a really, really strong 3 seed. I think Kevin Belby said it best when he said, this is the Syracuse team, right? But you add a couple of grad transfers in there, and these are very valuable grad transfers, quote-unquote, that they've brought in. I think with DeAndre, DeAndre Kane and DJ Kennedy, Beheim's Army has put themselves in a position to win this entire thing. And the reason why, Bones, because you know, we've kind of hinted at it a little bit, DJ Kennedy, DeAndre Kane played for overseas elite. They're not playing in this actual tournament. So now you steal a couple of their best players, you add them to your roster, and you've played this overseas elite team a couple times over the years, especially in the Final Four. That's not a hump that you need to worry about anymore. So I think it's all systems go for Bayheim's Army from round one to the finals. And so you mentioned overseas elite is out. The, the, they're not playing this year. The four-time champions are not going to compete. Where do you think that... Do you think that opens up a door? Do you think that the landscape changes entirely? Of course it does, uh, just because their players are going to play elsewhere, like Kennedy and Kane, but especially for Bayheim's Army, do you have any kind of prediction of where they'll go? Because, you know, infamously, they haven't made it that this far or that far in this tournament prior, and I think fans are getting a little bit sick and tired of watching this team end up being a little bit lame towards the end. I think they'll go very far because I think the narrative has kind of changed from the ownership standpoint of, hey, let's try and get some of these cool guys, the, these sexy guys that we could put on the team to make uh, fans want to come watch. Not necessarily putting guys on the team to win, right? You're putting guys on the team to make headlines. But now by adding DeAndre Cade, DJ Kennedy, and a couple of these other guys that aren't Syracuse alums but are very good players and give you a chance to win, you're actually competing to win the tournament instead of giving fans that nostalgia and entertainment, right? But now you can kind of do both, win and give them that kind of, you know, sense of good feeling that they come to watch the tournament for, right? So I think the, the change in mindset's the biggest thing for Bayheim's Army, and I think that's going to propel them to a long run in this tournament. Yeah, I think this is definitely their year. Um, if you botch this year, I don't think that... I don't think that there's any going out and making the roster a whole lot better unless you're bringing Carmelo in, you know? Um because it is a really, really talented roster. You've got a lot of veterans here, and you've got a lot of Syracuse superstars. I mean, talk about guys like Malachi Richardson and C.J. Fair, who provided an insane amount of memories for SU fans. I mean, you just think about C.J. Fair, what comes to mind immediately is his monstrous dunk over Otto Porter in the Big East semifinals. Uh, or Malachi Richardson, his crazy performance against Virginia uh, to take Syracuse to the Final Four. Uh, plenty of star power on this team and plenty of athleticism and veteranship. You've got Chris McCullough as well, who Bayheim's Army wanted to have last year, but he couldn't play. At the, uh, it turned out he just couldn't play in the tournament. Something didn't work out. But he's a guy that Kevin Belby uh, mentioned and some other people around Syracuse basketball have said that he wants to make an NBA comeback, and this could kind of be a stepping stone for that. McCullough is an athletic big, and he could prove to be huge for this team because I think he's going to get a lot of minutes. Pascal Chukwu, as we've all seen in recent years, maybe isn't exactly Hakeem Olajuwon, um, but I think McCullough is going to prove really, really strong for this team and a guy that they're going to rely on, even though it is a guard-heavy tournament. And Belby said that that was his pick. McCulloch was his pick for the biggest surprise player 
for this team in the tournament. And I watched his film again from college, a game he had against Michigan, which I think you put in your article, man, he looks so good. He's got a little bit of everything to his game. He's got a mid-range, that effort, that, that grit underneath the basket, the ability to, to put up rebounds and score some buckets, some key baskets. He's got that toughness that this team needs, something that DJ Kennedy has as well. Uh, I think those nitty-gritty baskets around the rim are going to be crucial for this Bayheim's Army team, and I think McColl is going to have a, a big kind of factor in that. But one question mark I would say heading into this tournament, Bones, and you can comment on this as well, is that, yes, you have all this talent, you have all these athletes, right? But so do the Blue Bloods every year in college basketball. The biggest thing with the sport, though, is chemistry. So do you think this team is going to have enough time to develop that chemistry, and is it going to be strong enough once you get to the tournament? Well, here's the thing, uh, and it might be different this year because of those non-SU guys, but those guys who are SU alum have instant chemistry. They're all Syracuse guys. They hashtag bleed orange, as we all hear when we uh, first become freshmen at Syracuse. Uh, so they all love Syracuse, and I think that binds them all together. Um, but I think that there will be question marks in terms of those uh, grad transfers that Belby coined them, maybe especially the DJ Kennedys of the world who, you know, up until this point was kind of rivals with these guys. So that'll definitely be interesting, and I think St. John's fans are going to be pretty upset that they're going to watch one of their favorite players play in a Syracuse jersey. Uh, and I can't exactly blame them. That can't be easy to watch. What if you saw Eric Dievendorf playing for, like, the Duke team? That wouldn't be fun <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Got to be awkward. And I think you said it best. Yeah, it's going to be weird for fans because they've seen these overseas elite players before kind of ruin the tournament experience. Now they're playing for your team. So it's kind of like a Michael Benege going from Duke to Syracuse. You used to hate this guy. Now you got to learn to like him. It's just it's a weird feeling. Exactly. And, and I want to make my, my clear prediction. I think that this team is going to be very, very strong. I think they're at least going to make it to the Elite Eight, and I think that they have a good chance uh, at making the championship game, but they might run into some trouble around the Final Four or the Elite Eight. But I think they do have a chance at being champions. Uh, they're a very talented squad, and, and I think they have it this year, John. They certainly have a chance, Bones. I think they go deep as well. You said it earlier. I think it's championship or bust for this team this year. They've kind of put all the proverbial chips in the basket because this is probably the only year that you're going to have DeAndre Kane and DJ Kennedy because next year when the tournament comes back around, I'm sure Overseas Elite is going to be back in it, right? So if you're going to make a run, if you're going to win this thing, it's got to be this year, and Bayheim's Army has to find a way to get it done. All right, we're going to take a short break. On the other side, we'll be talking SU football. How low does the program currently sit, and who are the recruits that might help it push in the right direction? You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Back on Fizz Radio, you got Matt Bonaparte and John Eads with you on this wonderful Saturday morning. John you and I have endured some terrible years of Syracuse football. Uh, 2018, of course, the 10-win season in which they took down West Virginia in the Camping World Bowl. That was pretty exciting. Then, straight-up disappointment in 2019 with a 5-7 season. That season was awful, and it only predicted what was to come. 
this past year in which Syracuse, of course, wins just one game, a 1-10 season, not exactly what you want if you're Dino Babers. What exactly is going wrong for this program right now if you could bring it down to a couple of key issues? Gosh, I mean, a couple key issues would make it difficult, Bones. I'll try and give you some. I'll start with this. Since joining the ACC, Syracuse is just 38 and 59. Okay, now that's just a number, right? It doesn't mean much. But when you kind of dive dive deeper into it and really look at it from a bird's eye perspective, it's because the Orange haven't really been able to consistently compete with the teams that are even just the run-of-the-mill uh, squads in the conference. Right? I think about the Wake Forest, you know, the Dukes, NC State. Syracuse has been losing to these schools year after year after year. So why would recruits, and we'll get into recruiting in just a sec, why would a recruit want to come play for your school if you're not competing against those teams and beating those teams on a consistent basis, there's really just no reason. So uh, I'll start with that, and then I guess we'll get into after that. Uh, Syracuse has done such a terrible job recruiting in the actual state of New York, which has kind of led to that poor on-field performance. But what do you think about that? Syracuse just 38-59 and 59 since joining the Power Five. Yeah, I mean, that's just awful. That's just not exciting for any fan or anybody at all. And, of course, all this information is over at orangefizz.net. John wrote a great article that has all this and more. I think the way I can describe it best is that Dino Babers bamboozled just about everybody. I don't really know how he did it, but he did. He bamboozled everybody into thinking that he was the next-up coach who was going to go to some... We were talking at some point that Dino Babers was going to coach Michigan. That was a conversation that people were having. <laughs> no! Absolutely! After that 2018 season, up in the beginning of 2019, people were... There was real conversation. Is Dino Babers going to leave Syracuse and go to some bigger and better program? Uh, and we didn't want him to go. Uh, as, the, you know, Syracuse fans did not want him to leave at all, but... You know, we he didn't leave, and we're all, we, everybody kind of wished he did it, or he did. So that was a real conversation that people were having, and that just kind of boggles my mind because now I can't imagine having that conversation. I'm with you there, and there's a couple disclaimers I guess you could throw out. You think about the key injuries Syracuse has dealt with over the past couple years and some of the coaching turnover as well, kind of just – some bad bumps along the way, but and this is college football. This is this is the world. We're living on Earth. Nothing ever goes as planned, right? You always got to have backup plans. You always have to have directions that you can go when something does go wrong. Not even if something always is going to go wrong. You need to figure out how to you know deal with that and go in a separate direction. But now I'll kind of cut it in a little bit deeper. We started out general. Now let's kind of work our way inside. A couple other things that I noticed just kind of doing this whole state of the program thing is Dino Babers hasn't recruited or developed a homegrown quarterback at Syracuse. Now, I know what you're going to say, Eric Dungy, but pause. He was a Scott Schiffer I would never recruit. say Eric Dungy. I would never say that. You wouldn't say that? No. He's, of course he was not a Babers guy, because I remember all the hype for Babers was that his next guy up was Tommy DeVito. And he and Tommy DeVito was going to be this, uh, this four-star recruit was coming in. This hot shot from Jersey was going to turn into Tom Brady. It didn't happen did not happen and we're st the jury's still really out on DeVito people will say oh well he hasn't really had an offensive line in front of him but uh, again like it's college football you are a four-star quarterback you need it, it really it's 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 on the coaching as much as it, as it is DeVito 
right? I mean, you got to find ways to work around that problem, but we're kind of getting off track here. He's yet to develop that quarterback, like you said. DeVito was supposed to be that guy. He hasn't been that guy, and I would say the quarterback is obviously the most important position in football. I would say that's kind of the reason why you're starting to see this downturn in the football program is the Orange haven't had a potent quarterback back there or even just a consistent presence of a quarterback in the backfield over the past two seasons. Yeah, uh, and Tommy DeVito has been an, an insane disappointment. Like, I, I don't think that there has been a guy uh, in in all of sports that I've watched at Syracuse recently that has had more hype and more disappointment than Tommy DeVito. This was a guy who saved a couple of the games during that 2018 season. What was it, the UNC game that Dungey was pulled from? Or the NC State game, one of the two, or maybe both. But I think both, it was yeah. both, yeah. And which DeVito came in and kind of saved Dungey's behind. And in and, and that moment, I think a lot of people, Syracuse fans and media, were getting a little, building the hype around this kid because, you know, Dungey was going to end the season and, and then give the reins to DeVito, who was already a bonafide stud in a lot of people's eyes. And then when he did get those reins, we all learned that he didn't really know what to do in the pocket and he decided he liked to get sacked. And that's just kind of what happened. Um, Syracuse's offensive line took a ton of heat, which I think some uh -huh. of which was deserved, some of which should have been angled at DeVito because he has 0% pocket awareness, just zero. <laughs> um, I, the amount of times I've seen that man get rushed by a defender and not move is insane to me. Um, he, there, Syracuse football is in such a precarious spot, uh, especially coming into this next year, and it's going to be extremely telling of what Dino or what kind of coach Dino is because I don't really think he should start Tommy DeVito. I don't think Tommy DeVito deserves to start. Of course, he did get injured last year. You can't really fault him for that, of course. Um, but, you know, you've got other guys who were talented on this team. Jacoby and Morgan went 7-for-7 seven seven in his first playing time, or first playing experience uh, in college football. He went 7-for-7 seven seven with a touchdown against Wake Forest after an entire game in which Rex Culpepper couldn't manufacture any kind of offense. After the game, what does Baber say? That what that doesn't count. What? What are you talking about? What do you mean? That's insane. That's insane. Uh, not to mention you've got Garrett Schrader coming in, a guy who played in SEC school. Of course, he was a wide receiver. Uh, he he's a mobile guy. Whatever. I still think he'd be better than Devito. I don't know your thoughts on that, but the Orange are in such a bad position in which they can really go anywhere, and we'll kind of find out how good Babers really is. It's a juicy debate, Bones, and I would say. This is how I would describe the Syracuse football program. It's hanging in the balance because if Babers has another year in 2021 like he did last season, he's done. There's no way if you're John Wildhack, you can actually evaluate your program and think it's actually going somewhere. You've lost all respect across the ACC for what you've done the past two seasons, really five of, five of six. You had the one 10-3 year. But, I mean, if you read The Athletic or really any kind of preseason magazine, other coaches were saying, oh, that was just an anomaly. They got lucky. They, they were playing weaker ACC teams that year. It was a weak year in the ACC. So, really, Babers needs to prove himself, and this is the year to do it. Because, like you said, Bones, I, I, if he doesn't do it, he's gone. And I think the, quarter, the, the, the decision of who you trot out there at quarterback for snap one, drive one at Ohio is going to be the decision that determines how good Syracuse is next season. And I don't really know 
if the guy who does take that first snap at Peden Stadium is going to be the guy who makes the snap at the next game or the three after that because there are so many arms in this room now. Um, but here's my question to you. Do you think that if DeVito, say DeVito starts the season, I think there's a good chance that he will. Say DeVito starts the season and he's not playing well like many people expect him not to do. Do you think that Babers sticks with him or does he make a snap decision in game three or four to to take one of the other guys and give him a shot? Or does he stick with his guy that he recruited? Oh, that's tough, Bones, because you would think he would go with somebody else. He would go with the guy that he knows gives them the best chance to win. Well, that's his classic line. Yeah, right, right. But he's had the opportunity to do that before. Right In 2019, there were several times where DeVito wasn't injured. And, uh, and well, it, mind you, Syracuse didn't really have any other potent options at quarterback behind DeVito that year. I mean, the, their backup was Clayton Welsh, right? So there wasn't really an opportunity for Dino to say, hey, uh, Tommy, take a seat on the bench, bud. We're going to put Clayton in for this series and see how he does. This year, though, you have those options. So I think if he's presented with that situation, you need to go with the guy that you think can get the job done. Yeah, but uh, I, I guess I don't know. I don't know what he's gonna do. It's 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 a big. It's not what I like to see from this team. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so there are a couple of recruits that we've been pondering. Uh, some guys that have committed to Syracuse, and I want to hear your thoughts on them. First up, Makai Mason, a linebacker, three star. We know Babers loves his three star recruits. What do you have on Makai Mason? Does he help this linebacking core in year one? And what kind of player does he turn out to be for the Orange? I really like what I see out of Makai Mason. And as much as I rag on Dino Babers, I do love how he's so relentless on the recruiting trail. He's not scared to go into a state like Florida, a talent hotbed, and just pluck out this town and bring it from the shiny palm tree atmosphere down in the Sunshine State all the way up to Central New York where it snows nine or ten months out of the year. But Makai Mason, 6'2", 220, and I'm going to give you a comparison here. Michael Jones came to Syracuse. He was 6'0", 212, right? And remember, he got some he got some pretty good snaps. He got some time in 2018 2019 and now he's Syracuse's starter at linebacker so I think Mason could come in and be a day one contributor what I saw on film is this guy is absolutely shot out of a cannon when he's blitzing and he runs downhill he tackles hard when he's blitzing he just shoots right through that gap brings down the running back finds the quarterback so very good in run support he works in the box and also off the edge as well kind of like Steve Linton does for Syracuse right now he runs super well sideline to sideline laterally and I think he has great eyes. Whenever he's blitzing or he's spying the quarterback, he never loses sight of him. He's always able to get you know, off the blocker that's kind of trying to hold him and find the quarterback, bring him down in the backfield. The one con I will say on Mason Bones is that I didn't see a lot of coverage snaps from him, so I don't know how good he'll be in coverage. But in terms of a pure pass rusher and a run defender as a linebacker, uh, phenomenal. Yeah, and if you don't take John's word for it, which you definitely should, just look at his offer list. I mean, LSU offered this kid, Florida State. You've got plenty of SEC schools and ACC schools that wanted to be in on this guy, and Syracuse gets him, so I think that's definitely uh, a huge sign or an, uh, a sign in the right direction for the Orange because it's getting to a point where these recruits are going to make or break the program for Babers because he's missed on a little bit too many. 
Uh, so he needs to start hitting. And, and Makai Mason turns uh, looks like he might turn out to be one that definitely does hit. All right, moving on to the secondary, Jeremiah Wilson, another three-star, 5'11", 173, a corner out of Florida once again. What sticks out to you about him? Another talented playmaker out of Florida Bones. He's a pure safety after watching his film. He's kind of a corner He's just—he's a defensive back. That's what he is. And in Tony White's three-three-five scheme, you got to have guys that are versatile that can play a couple different positions in that backfield. But Jeremiah Wilson is a pure safety, whether that be free or strong. This guy just makes plays, and he's—he's he's a center fielder out there as well. He's a turnover machine. If there's one thing that Syracuse has done very well over the past few years defensively in the secondary and the linebacker spot, it's get turnovers. They're definitely in the top five over the, over the past couple seasons in total turnovers forced. And Wilson is definitely that guy. This dude catches picks, he high points the ball, and he's also looking to score once he catches that thing. I posted a play on Twitter today, and it's also on Orange Fizz, at Orange Fizz on the Bluebird there. He caught this interception, ran backwards towards his end zone 20 yards, set up his blockers, comes back the other way, and scores on a pick six. It's almost as if he's playing a video game. So that play really stuck out to me. Like I said, he's a playmaker, turnover machine, and I think you'll see him catching picks for Syracuse over the next three to four years. Yeah, I saw that, what you tweeted. I thought that was insane. Um, and I always, I, what I also think is insane is if, if you ever see those like top five lists that PFF sometimes tweets out, It'll be like top five uh, big hits or quarterback hits or yep. interceptions or something. It's like Clemson, Syracuse, LSU. Like it's insane that that Syracuse is always in the top five on those because you look at a one in ten record and you don't expect anything to be good about this team. But there really is some talent here, and I think that's what fans have to put their faith into because that defensive or that secondary was a very talented secondary last year, and we'll see how good. Garrett Williams ends up being this upcoming season but here's another guy that'll probably join him in that secondary Quan Peterson a corner out of South Carolina 6-1-175 is he similar to Jeremiah Wilson or different he's different bones so I have Wilson as a pure safety like I said Quan Peterson is a pure corner I can't really see this guy playing safety because I didn't see a lot uh, of tackling from him and playing over the top in coverage, but that's fine, right? Because you got to bring in corners as well. You can't just bring in safeties. So he's a guy with that really good recovery speed. The first play on his highlight tape is a receiver's giving him a double move. It's kind of a stop and go. He gets beat, but he has really good recovery speed. He was able to get back, find that ball, and catch it for an interception. So plays like that really stuck out to me. He's got great hands. He's very twitchy, and he's good at settling in the mesh point. So while receivers are setting up their route, like, they're going to give you a couple head fakes, a couple fakes. Am I going to run a slant? Am I going to run an out? He's very good at just sitting there and reacting to what the receiver does and then making a play on the ball as well. This guy always seems to get his head around, keep his eyes in the backfield, and find where the quarterback's throwing that thing. He's a turnover machine, just like Wilson. I think that's the DNA that Babers and White are trying to find in their prospects. He's also super underrated, like you said. He doesn't even have a rating on the 247 composite, but he's a three-star in their specific rankings. And I think he's only going to kind of shoot up those rankings once more guys watch film on him and, you know, he goes to camps and whatnot. But the, the three things I would say about Quan Peterson are savvy in, in zone coverage, he's a willing tackler, and like I said, a turnover machine. He can track the ball well and uh, make plays for you. Makai Mason, Jeremiah Wilson, and Quan Peterson. Those are the names you should keep your eyes on coming into this SU football season. When we come back, it'll be time for a five-star review. John and I will discuss Kofi Coburn, as well as a couple more potential SU football recruits. Keep it locked on the score 1260.
I'm gonna need a five-star review. Five-star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five-star reviews. Hey, five stars. It's five-star review time here on Orange Fizz Radio. I'm Matt Bonaparte, still with John Eads. John, we're going to talk about a couple of topics, and we're going to start with Syracuse basketball here on Five Star Review. First up is Kofi Coburn, the big man from Illinois. First put his name into the NBA draft conversation, then recently took it out and said that he's going into the transfer portal. He still wants to come back, play one more year of college ball, improve that draft stock, and hopefully get picked a lot higher next year in the NBA draft. Now the question becomes, does Syracuse have a chance at the seven-footer who has every skill you need when you are a big man? He'd be absolutely perfect as the anchor of the zone, but will he go to Syracuse? Probably not. We hope, but probably not. He said that he wants to make a decision on whether or not he's going to go back to Illinois pretty quickly so he can look at all his options. John, what do you think? I don't know, Bones. Obviously, it'd be insane. Like, if Kofi Coburn transferred to Syracuse like Alan Griffith did from Illinois to the Orange last year, uh, I think Syracuse is instantly a top 10 team and instantly a favorite to reach the Final Four at least because really, that's kind of what you and I have been ragging about for the past couple months is Syracuse has everything but they don't have a center right and Kofi Coburn is literally the definition of a center he would be the anchor inside the zone he has so many skills on both ends of the floor heck the guy probably scares dudes just by looking at him so nobody wants to come into the paint so obviously he'd be really good for Syracuse I just don't think it's gonna happen because like you said he's trying to boost his stock and go really high in the first round of next year's draft and I don't really understand why he would come to a place that runs the zone defense to do that because that's already alert it's already a learning curve in itself right and it's not really gonna prepare you to, to play at the next level. So I, I think he either goes back to Illinois, which has kind of been leaked that he might do, or he'll just transfer to another blue blood and um, play there. I think my prediction for where he'll end up is actually Kentucky because the guy that recruited him, uh, Orlando Antigua, an assistant at Kentucky, was the reason he said that he went to Illinois uh, and now he is over as an assistant at Kentucky, and that's the reason that he explored transferring at all. So I think that Coburn probably will end up either back with Illinois or over at Kentucky. Say he did find his way up to the hill, that would be insane, and I think Syracuse would have a great shot at the Final Four, even a championship, because I truly think that in some worlds they are just a big man away, but that might not be the case uh, in, in his transfer journey. All right, let's move on to another Syracuse basketball-related topic. Justin Taylor, the newly acquired, committed uh, Syracuse recruit, the 22 prospect, has said that he wants to bring in other guys, notably Quadir Copeland, uh, to Syracuse, kind of like Dior Johnson said he would, which I know hurts. A little bit of salt <laughs> in the wound I just provided. Um, do you think he ends up getting that job done? I don't know. It's tough because... There's two sides of you being an elite recruit and wanting to build a, a nice class around you, right? Obviously, 
if you're a top 100 recruit and you commit to a school and, and other really highly rated recruits are thinking about making a decision as well, they're a little bit more intrigued to join you in that class and be great with you, right? So there's the one side of it, but there's also the side of, hey, I'm going to reach out and see if I can bring guys to come play. But they also play the same position as me, which means I would be battling and competing with them for playing time. So that would kind of turn recruits off as well. But I, you know what, Bones? I think he will get it done and bring in maybe one or two other guys with him. The Orange don't need to bring in a spectacularly large class this year, and I think a lot of fans would be fine with them just bringing in Kamari Lance and Justin Taylor. But if they can also add in Kadir Copen, like you said, or even, hey, Kyle Filipowski, it's kind of looking like a lost cause at this point after his official to Duke. But if Taylor can kind of work some magic and pull off a miracle and bring Filipowski and Copeland in, That'd be unbelievable. Yeah, and if you want to know exactly what he said, I've got it right here for you. Quote, I've talked to both Kyle Filipowski and Quadir Copeland. They're both my guys. I talked to them a ton. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm definitely going to hit them up tonight. I've been talking to them a lot, so I think they probably knew that I was going to do that. I've been talking to Quadir. He loved his visit, just got back from uh, from his, and obviously Kyle took his right before mine. I think they both loved it. I think we could build a really, really special class. Justin Taylor's all in on these two guys, and I think he really wants them uh, to come to Syracuse do I think they will? Possibly. I think you could definitely get Copeland. I don't know about Filipowski. I think he's dead set on Duke, which does hurt to hear as a Syracuse fan. Um, but I think Copeland would be great, and that would keep Syracuse up in the top 10 in terms of a, t a 2022 recruiting class. I don't know what, where they'll finish up. But right now, they're they're sorting out to be a really, really solid class with both Kamari Lands and Justin Taylor, and hopefully a few more on the way. I agree with you. I think they'll end up bringing in Copeland, and those three are going to form a really special class in itself. But once Filipowski visited Duke and got that offer, I think it changed everything, and I think he's dead set on unfortunately becoming a Blue Devil. Yes, that is sad. Uh, but it, it, it is just the way things go. All right, on to a couple of football recruits. We talked football uh, recruiting in the last segment, but let's just add on a couple of more. A couple guys who aren't committed yet. Kair Price and Chad Schuster will start with Price, a defensive lineman. He's 6'2", 255 out of Wayne, New Jersey. Syracuse battling it out with West Virginia for this kid, but I think he's going to end up with the Orange. It's, it's Syracuse and West Virginia, like you said, Bones, and the Orange kind of just had a similar battle with Jacoby Spells, who was a four-star corner out of Florida. He ended up dropping Syracuse out of his top three. Instead, he went with West Virginia, Miami, and Indiana, and he recently committed to the Mountaineers. So I'd say that WVU has had kind of a leg up on SU on the recruiting trail, but I think the Orange do end up getting this one done. This is a recruiting battle that Syracuse needs to win. They need to change the narrative of their Northeast recruiting. We, we talked earlier about Peterson, Wilson, and Mason. Those are all guys from, from the southeast side of the United States, South Carolina and Florida. Syracuse needs to do a better job of recruiting in the Empire State and just in, in the Northeast in general. So they need to get Price out of New Jersey to come and commit to Syracuse. I absolutely, uh, I absolutely agree with you there. It seems that Syracuse always misses the guys that are right in its backyard, uh, and they end up going elsewhere, like the Midwest or the South, to get the guys that end up filling out the roster. And they go to the Midwest to hopefully get this offensive tackle from Wisconsin. Chad Schuster is next up on Five Star Review. He's 6'6", 280 from Franklin, Wisconsin. He's an offensive tackle, and I think he could really help this team. Another guy that I think probably is going to end up in Syracuse. 
So there's one crystal ball prediction for him, and it comes from Alan True, and he's really well-connected in Midwest recruiting. And if there's, if there's a state that you want to pull offensive linemen from, Bones, it's definitely Wisconsin. I mean, speaking from experience, I'm a Big Ten guy at heart. The Badger State consistently pulls out guys, puts them on their offensive line, and they just churn out Big East, uh, Big Big Ten West championships year after year after year. I mean, offensive linemen are built in a lab in the state of Wisconsin. So if you're Dino Babers and you want to pull guys from states to, to put on your front five, it's definitely got to be Wisconsin. That's a great place to start. Uh, Aaron Service actually comes from that state as well. So Schuster, one prediction, and it's in Syracuse's favor. Another guy that'd be really good to get for this 2022 recruiting class. Absolutely agree. That'll be it for Five Star Review. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up shop. Fictional Fizz and Fizz Feedback are waiting for you after the break. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Wrapping up shop here on Orange Fizz Radio, Matt Bonaparte with John Eads for one final 7 minute and 49 second block. John, it's time for your first uh, ever time playing fictional fizz. It's the game where I give you a fictional betting line and you tell me whether or not you'd like to take the over or the under. Are you ready? I'm ready. I always see you and Jaren post these things, and I'm like, what in the world is Fictional Fizz? So Yeah, I'm trying to get it. the entire Fizz staff on the Fictional Fizz wavelength, and I think uh, you will be on it by the time we finish today. My first line is Sean Tucker rushing yards. You and I have talked a little bit. We think that Sean Tucker does have the potential to be a 1,000-yard rusher for Syracuse, but this upcoming season, will he have over or under 770 rushing yards? I'll take the over on 770. I think the only way he doesn't hit 1,000 this year, Bones, is if he gets injured, for one, obviously. But two, if Garrett Schrader or one of the other mobile quarterbacks on the roster is starting for Syracuse under center. Because, you know, we've talked about this before on this on this segment on this radio show today, that Tommy DeVito isn't very mobile. He's not going to rack up those rush yards. So I think the only way Sean Tucker doesn't hit 1,000 is if a mobile quarterback's in the pocket. He's definitely getting over 770, though. So here's my thing. He's got to deal with Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard in the backfield this year, which he didn't have to last year. Uh, I think that some people think that's going to make a huge impact on his carries. I don't think it's going to be huge, but I do think that it might take him down from his full potential, which I think is up above that four-digit mark. I'm still going to take the over, but I think he caps out at like 815 um, this upcoming year. All right. Sticking with football, but now to the pass-throwing category. Tommy DeVito interceptions. You know, Tommy DeVito, not a very good quarterback in my eyes, but he doesn't throw many interceptions. He's only threw two last year. He was injured, but the year prior, in 2019, when Syracuse went 5-7, and seven, he only threw five. So the line I'm going to set is Tommy DeVito interceptions, 6.5. I'll take the over. 
Now, the reason why DeVito hasn't really thrown that many interceptions, Bones, is because he has zero time to sit back in the pocket and make a read. And by the time he's ready to go with that read and make the throw, you know, he's on the turf getting sacked or he's out of the pocket and just running out of bounds voluntarily for a loss. But I think in extended game action and with a better offensive line, he'll have a little bit more time back there. Unfortunately, I think that's time enough to make some bad decisions. All right, that's fair. Uh, I, I agree that they're... There isn't much time for him to make a bad decision, uh, and then he ends up on his back. But uh, I think I'm also going to take the over here. I think it'll be at, like somewhere between 7 and 9. Um, but I don't know. This is going to be the season, like we said prior, that is very uh, defining for him and the rest of this program, as well as Babers, to see whether or not he takes some kind of step up, whether or not Babers throws him out there for game one, which I think, I think he will. Um, but, you know, we'll see with Tommy DeVito and whether or not he has over-under six interceptions we both say that he will he probably wouldn't like to hear that so i don't know um all right on to our third and final line this is uh going over to the court the good old basketball court jesse edwards double doubles he didn't have one last year but he's going to get more playing time this upcoming season and he came close a couple of times i've got the line set at two and a half double doubles for jesse edwards over oh easily the over all right two and a half i, like I mean confidence you, you play, what, like upwards of 30 games in a season? I mean, he could probably do that. We've seen what the non-conference schedule is for the Syracuse basketball team. They're just scheduling a bunch of chocolate-flavored, cupcake-frosted chocolate cupcakes. Flavored cup so, uh, Jesse Edwards is definitely getting over two-and-a-half double-doubles easily. Okay, I like that confidence that you have in Jesse. Uh, I don't know if Jim Beheim shares the confidence that you have in him, uh, so you might have to give uh, the Hall of Fame coach... A little bit of a pep talk there. Um, I've tried before; hasn't worked out too well. For me. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm sure also others going... can empathize with that. <laughs> I think I'm also going to take the over, and I, I guess I did underestimate uh, the chocolate flavored cupcakes that they play at the beginning of the season. But maybe <laughs> I'll take them out. Who knows? All right. We're moving on to Twitter. If you want to go participate in our fizz feedback polls, try to head over there on a Wednesday. That's usually when they're out. Uh, but let's go over to Twitter at Orange Fizz to see how our polls ended up. The first of which is which non-SU Bayheim's Army player will make the biggest impact this summer. The options were Kiefer Sykes, Tyrese Rice, DeAndre Kane, and DJ Kennedy. Of course, John, what do you think? It's got to be DJ Kennedy, Bones. We talked about it before. This guy's probably one of the best players in the actual tournament itself. He leads the entire landscape of it with 436 points and 232 rebounds. If you picked anybody else, what are you doing? Yeah, and the, the people agree. 70.5% of votes went to DJ Kennedy. But here's my thing. Not enough people giving Kiefer Sykes love. The man has a song named after him. He was an absolute king at Green Bay in his time there and plays very well overseas. Zero percent went to Kiefer Sykes, and I think that wow. uh, the, the Orange Fizz faithful needs to readjust and give him at least one singular vote. All right, second <laughs> I'll one. I'll do it. I'll do it. I like to hear that. 2022 SU basketball commit, Justin Taylor, claims he'll recruit other guys to SU. I already asked you this question today. Do you think he gets the job done? You said yes. I said yes. We both think Kudir Copeland, at least, is coming to Syracuse. And the Fizzers agree. Yes, got 65.5% of the vote. Uh, I'm glad that, that we're all in agreement here. Uh, but there are some naysayers, a whole 34.5%. Uh, I don't know. I think that... Kudir Copeland is probably already leaning towards Syracuse, and it would be nice if Justin Taylor could just push him in the right direction. 
Exactly right. Taylor doesn't need to be a, a world beater or a car used car salesman. I mean, it's Syracuse, <laughs> right? It kind of sells itself. And uh, you, if you're Copeland and you see the talent that's already in this recruiting class and you kind of see, hey, the Orange went to the Sweet 16 last year, this program's still in a great place. I'm just going to go ahead and commit because I can see myself playing here for the next four to five years. So, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be some more additions to this recruiting class, whether that be because of Taylor or not. Our final poll, if Syracuse were to get Kofi Coburn, how far would it get in the NCAA tournament? What do you think, John? I voted for this personally, and I think I definitely said at least Final Four. All right. I said uh, the same, and that's what won the poll. 40% of people said Final Four championship. 34.8 were right behind with Sweet 16 Elite. So the Orange Faithful have a lot of, uh, of confidence in this team Without a big man, I don't know if they get that far, but say they add a talented guy like Coburn, I mean, there's just nothing keeping them from that real success. And maybe they do find a guy like that in Jesse Edwards, not necessarily the same skill level as Coburn, but at least a guy who can get the job done at the anchor of the zone and lead Syracuse to some wins. All right, that does it for Orange Fizz Radio this week. For John Eanes, I'm Matt Bonaparte. If you want more coverage, follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz or go to our website, orangefizz.net. We'll see you next time.